time to preach. Together in Mission is our theme for the Oregon Conference this year. But I have to say that that theme started burning in my heart quite a while ago. Because as we were looking together as an administrative team, we were feeling a sense that God was calling our community of faith towards something, toward a richer spiritual experience. We had a conviction that the Holy Spirit needed to be more involved in the life of Seventh-day Adventists in Oregon than it ever has before. And for me, sometimes these, uh, these corporate conversations, these, these, these boardroom conversations drive me to go deeper. So it was a few months ago where this conversation about the Holy Spirit drove me on a journey to go back to Scripture to say, God, how can I experience more of the Holy Spirit in my life? How can we as a community sense more of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in the life that we live? And in my reflections and in my study and in my my journey with that question, how do we get more of the Holy Spirit? It led me to read a portion of Scripture in a way that I had never seen it before. Now, it, it, it had something to do with the pandemic. The pandemic really impacted me. I don't know, did it impact you? I'm not alone, I don't think. We were all in this, this environment of isolation and frustration and fighting and all the stuff. You know, I don't have to tell you about that. I, I hate to even bring it up again because it's ancient history. The only reason I bring it up today is because that experience impacted me deeply as I began to dig into the scriptures and see old stories with new eyes. And this morning, I would love to share a little bit with, of that with you. Now, let me ask you a question. If you go to Scripture, if you think about the story arc of Scripture, where would you say is a place where the Holy Spirit shows up in a powerful way? What strikes you as a really, really impactful moment where the Holy Spirit shows up? What would you say? Say it again. I heard something over here. Pentecost. Pentecost, thank you. That is, that, that's like the one, right? I wish I could have been in Genesis 1 when the Holy Spirit showed up on earth for the first time. In Genesis 1, it says the Spirit of God moved upon the waters. And then the earth emerged. I wish I could have been there. But I also wish I could have been there at Pentecost. In the scriptures, in Acts chapter 2, it says that, the, that God's people were together in one place. But beyond that, it says they were together, in some versions it says, in one accord. That means that it's not just that we're in the same place together. It means that in spirit, in, in values, in purpose, they were united together in experience and in direction. They were together in one accord, it says in Acts chapter 2. They were worshiping together. We don't know exactly how many people were there. It was a group possibly a little bigger than this one. 
worshiping together. It might have been a little smaller. But then something happened that imprinted those people forever. And sometimes things are in the Bible and we, we, we read them and we go, oh, well, that's interesting. That must have happened every other day or so. But I want you to take you there for a minute. What would happen? What would it be like if what happened in Acts chapter 2 began to happen here? Go back there just for a minute. They're sitting together. They're gathered together. They're worshiping. And the Bible says that that what they heard and what they experienced was just, was like a, a, a rushing wind. It's as if the windows and the doors flew open and this sound began to overwhelm them. And then they looked and it looks like it's as if you, no, it can't be. Are you on, are you okay? Are you on fire? I mean, so if, if this started to happen here, what would you do? Somebody would pull the fire alarm and we'd all leave. That's what would happen. But in this case, something else begins to happen because as they are talking, there is a commotion that begins and I don't know exactly what the commotion looked like. But here's what I do know. The people looking in the windows from the street were looking in and they were saying, those people, those people have had too much to drink. So I don't know what it looked like, but to the people outside the window peering in, it looked like pandemonium. Now, I wish I could have been there at the moment that Peter understood what was going on. There's this point at which he's standing there or sitting there and he's talking with the people and there's this point at which it dawns on him and he gets it. Now, Peter's a fisherman. He's a fisherman from Galilee. He only knows one language. He was a Hebrew. He knew Hebrew. But somehow, this moment comes where it dawns on him. And he goes, wait a minute. If, if I speak, all those people are going to understand it in their language. I wish I could have see, been there to see the light bulb go off in his brain. Because he stood on the highest spot that he could find. And he said, this, is, this might be my only chance. I'm going to take advantage of it. And so he stands up and he preaches the most powerful sermon about Jesus of his life. And we know it was impactful because he gets down to the conclusion and he doesn't even have to make the evangelistic appeal. He doesn't even have to do the thing that we've been doing for, cent for, for decades in our church. Because he gets to the end and he says, Jesus is the one. And they say, what should we do? Peter, tell us what to do next. And it wasn't just five, six, or seven people. 3,000 people responded to Jesus in baptism that day. Now, I've read that story a thousand times. 
but it was only after the pandemic that I began to see it with new eyes. Because up until that point, I read the story, I studied the story, I experienced the story, and I realized what it was. The people came together, the Holy Spirit came down, it was amazing, a lot of people came to Jesus. What I didn't get is that that began a pattern and a cycle that continues all the way through Acts. Let me show you what I mean. In Acts chapter 2, it says that the people were together in one accord. When the people were together, what happened next is that the Holy Spirit poured out on them. Okay? At the end of chapter, Acts 2, somewhere in the 40s, it says that the, people, the result of the Holy Spirit pouring out was that 3,000 more people were found together in spirit. And what begins, be quiet, Siri. What begins to happen is a cycle that unfolds through Acts that the more of God's people come together, the more his people experience an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the more Holy Spirit pours out, the more people are found together in community. I don't know if you're hearing me yet. The more people that were found together in Acts chapter 2, it was the more Holy Spirit that they experienced. And then as we go through 3, 4, 5, the more of the Holy Spirit that pours out, the more the people were found together in community. It turns out that the more we spend time together in community with God's people, the more opportunity we have to experience the Holy Spirit. And I don't have time this morning to go through every reference and every example, but in Acts 2.42, 3,000 people are baptized. In 43, it says they immediately join the fellowship. They're found together in ministry. The Holy Spirit pours out further in Acts chapter 3, and then in 4 verse 4, it says 5,000 more are found together in fellowship. Immediately following in 424, there's a gathering that they found together in one accord. In 431, the Spirit falls out again in a tangible way. 432, it says that after the Holy Spirit falls, they're found together in one spirit, one accord. Immediately following after that, chapter 5, verse 12, miracles start to happen. The Holy Spirit shows up in ways they've never seen, leading to more people being found together in ministry and the cycle continues the more people are found together the more they experience the I went through all of that and one person gets it the more people are found together the more we experience the and the more of the Holy Spirit we sense and we feel the more people are found and the more we come together, the more we experience the, and the more we experience the Holy Spirit, the more people come together. And if you go home and you study the scriptures and you study through the story of Acts, every time the cycle happens, there's another barrier that's broken. 
In Acts chapter two, the barrier that's broken is the barrier of language. There are Jews that are coming from all over the region, but they all have similar beliefs. But the Holy Spirit breaks down the language barrier. But you look a little farther down and the ethnicity barrier is broken. And you look a little farther down and the the barrier of religious practice is broken. In fact, if you read, I think it's somewhere down in Acts 3 or Acts 4 where the religious leaders are like, this is nonsense. We've got to stop this in its tracks. It turns out, that when the Holy Spirit starts getting a hold of people and doing the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do, religious people get uncomfortable. When the Holy Spirit starts doing what the Holy Spirit wants to do, the religious leaders get uncomfortable. But if you keep following the cycle, if you keep following what goes on in Acts, every time the Holy Spirit falls again, it breaks another barrier. So in Acts chapter 6, we see an issue of equity inside the church. Okay, In Acts chapter 6, there, there are a certain number of people that say, you're being racist, our widows aren't getting taken care of like your widows are. Now, in a church like ours, we could fight over that for, what, 140 years so far? In Acts chapter 6, the Holy Spirit falls, and an issue of equity is dealt with in a matter of hours. Okay, when we're talking about the, the, the divisions that we find inside of our church, any division that we find inside of our society, every time this cycle happens, it breaks down another barrier. And you can go all the way through the book of Acts, and you find the more people that are together, the more they experience, some of you are getting this. And in the book of Acts, along the way, weird things start to happen. Acts chapter 3. Peter and John are on their way to church, just like you and I were this morning. As they're, going through, as they're walking through town, they have an experience that you and I had this morning. There's somebody on the corner, the street corner holding a sign, or maybe shouting out, saying, help me! Do you have some money for me? This happened to me this morning. I was pulling up. I had to drop my son off. This is a weird day for me. My my son is in one church across town doing something in church. My daughter is in another church elsewhere doing something in church. So I left both of them behind to come and preach to you. But as I was getting ready to drop off my son, we pull up to the stoplight and there's this person with a sign in the street. Now, I've read the books. The books that say dollar bills out the window don't help the problem. But can I be honest with you for a minute? 
it wasn't because of those books that I didn't roll down the window this morning. If I'm being honest with you, I didn't roll down the window because I'm just tired of seeing it. Can we be honest for a second? Sometimes we just get tired. And I can't imagine that Peter and John weren't tired because this wasn't the only guy on the street corner that was needing help. So Peter and John are on their way to church. And by the way, I don't know if they, it doesn't say if they were going to be teaching in church or not. But, you know, you don't really want to be late to church. So they had every reason in the world to just go right on by. But as they're going, they stop. And Peter turns and he looks at this person and he says, look at me. This should be good. He says, look at me. I've got nothing for you. Wait, what? This, this story, I mean, if you look at it closely, if you think about living through it, it doesn't make sense. Peter says, look at me. I have nothing for you. But Jesus does. It turns out that, that as Peter and John are going along, they're on their way to church, doing what they scheduled, doing what they planned. It turns out that the Holy Spirit interrupted their schedule and said, hold on a second, I have some work for you to do. And I have to ask you the question, when's the last time you let the Holy Spirit interrupt your day? Because this is exactly what Peter did. He, he had a plan. In fact, he didn't have just any plan. He had a plan to go to church. And the Holy Spirit whispers in his ear. He said, Peter, go tell him. Tell him to look at you and tell him you've got nothing for him. Such a weird message. Hey, look at me. I have nothing for you. But Jesus does. In fact, why don't you just... Stand up. Let's go. Come on to church with us. What a weird story. And yet, that's what the Holy Spirit was doing. That's what it looks like when the Holy Spirit interrupts your agenda. I was preaching on the Holy Spirit. It was a while ago now. When I was, well, I, I was preaching. I was getting ready to preach about the Holy Spirit. Let's say that. Um, this morning, as we were singing those songs, thank you for the music. I was blessed. You all are a blessing to me this morning. As the music was wrapping up, I was sitting down there. I was doing what I always do. I was having a prayer, saying, God, you know, use this moment for your glory. You know when Pastor Chris or I stand up here, you give us a few seconds of attention before you decide whether you're going to check in or check out for the day. Okay? So it's pretty important when you're sitting on the front row as a public speaker, as a preacher, it's pretty important that you think about what's the first thing I'm going to do. That's my habit. I have a prayer. I think about my first words and I get ready to take the platform. 
On this particular day, I was actually sitting in that spot in their sanctuary, and we were just a couple of minutes away from the time when I was supposed to ascend the stairs and, 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 and preach the message. I'm sitting there, I'm doing my thing, I'm having a prayer, I'm thinking about the first words, and this thing flashes in my mind. It says, text so-and-so. Like, that, what? It it just wouldn't leave my mind. Text so-and-so. This is the weirdest. Right now, I'm two minutes from preaching. Why would I think that? But I get out my phone and I text so-and-so. I was like, hey, haven't heard from you in a while. Hope you're having a blessed Sabbath. Send. I have an iPhone. I'm ready to put it away and get up there. But immediately, I see the dots, the bubbles. This person has their phone out. And I see the bubbles. Message pops up. Interesting timing. Are you free? Uh, text back. Well, I have two minutes until I'm preaching. Can we catch up later? He said, Yes, we must catch up soon. Well, that's kind of weird but I, I put my phone away. I got up, preached a sermon about the Holy Spirit, did the thing you do as a guest speaker, stand at the back door, shake the hands, all the stuff, got in, my heart, got in my car to go home, and guess what the first thing I did was when I got in my car? Called this person. I was like, what's going on? In the next six months, I learned something. I learned that that text message at that moment, was highly impactful for that person. Here's why. Uh, Think back in your life. Think back to maybe the two or three most momentous moments in your life, the places and times where your, your whole journey turned. Okay? When his phone buzzed and that message came up, He was on the sidewalk, on the way into a meeting that was to be one of those moments for him. And later he told me, Jonathan, that text message reminded me that God hasn't given up on me. Now, I can tell you for sure that I don't randomly think of people two minutes before I stand up to preach. I can tell you for sure that that doesn't happen in my life. But in that moment, I let the Holy Spirit turn me for just a second. And months later, I learned what it meant to that person. And so I ask you again, when's the last time you let the Holy Spirit interrupt your agenda? I look at the story of Acts. I look at everything that happened, this cycle of people coming together followed by these powerful acts of the Holy Spirit, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit leading to more people coming together. 
And then I look at our church. And I have to ask the question, generally, why is our experience of the Holy Spirit so different? I mean, in Romans 8, verse 11, it's, it's a promise that the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is the same Spirit that lives in you and I. The same Spirit, not, not a different Spirit, not a different uh, manifestation of the Spirit. The Bible says that you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Bible says that the same Spirit that, that rose Jesus, the same Spirit that was doing that work in the New Testament is the same Spirit that lives in you and I. And so I have to ask the question, why is our experience so different? And I have to say I'm a little concerned that as an Adventist culture, we have decided how it's appropriate for the Holy Spirit to show up and how it's not. Let me give you some examples. If we have somebody that we love that is dying of a, a difficult disease. We have full faith and assurance. We have full confidence that the Holy Spirit will show up to comfort those who are left behind. And yet, do we expect that the Holy Spirit will heal somebody from their deathbed? Probably not. When we're worshiping together, in, in many of our Adventist cultures, we have an expectation that if the Holy Spirit shows up in worship, it'll show up in a way that convicts us with a deep sense of, of personal conviction that might be punctuated by a quiet amen. But, but if the Holy Spirit showed up in a way that gave us this overwhelming sense of awe that was punctuated by raising hands or calling out hallelujah, too many of us would question, is that really the right spirit? When we're faced with a difficult decision, our board has full confidence that if we pray for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will show up in helping us make a wise decision. And if it turns out well, we'll give glory to God. But if Ukrainian refugees came through that door right now, would we expect that the Holy Spirit could translate for them? And there are so many other ways that we've culturally neutered the Holy Spirit to make sure that we are nothing like those charismatics, those people that believe in those outrageous acts of the Spirit. We've, we, we, we've crafted a belief in the Spirit that's safe, that's predictable. And as a result, 
God shows up exactly how we expect, in safe, predictable ways. Yes, he provides comfort, and yet so often he shows up in ways that simply aren't transforming anything. And so I have to ask the question, what would happen if this year the Spirit ignited a movement in God's people in which we responded to what the Holy Spirit wants to do? What would happen if the Seventh-day Adventist movement was known as a movement of people responding to the Holy Spirit wherever the Holy Spirit would lead? What might that look like? A number of years ago now, I traveled to Ethiopia on a mission trip. My church was going to a mission trip, and as many mission trips do, we, we were going to do everything while we were there. You know, you take the construction people to, well, build a church. You take the medical people to host a medical clinic. You take the children's ministries people to lead children's ministries and VBS. You would take the business development people to help the women develop their own business and all of that. And, of course, you take the pastor to preach. That's why you take a pastor on a mission trip, to preach. So I was going to preach at Ethiopian Adventist College. It's right there in the middle of Ethiopia. Um, beautiful campus on a hill. Tons of farmland all around. A lovely place to be. I was going to preach for a week. And as I was working with the, with the president of the college and the pastor, he said, let me tell you about the people you're preaching to. He said, the people you're preaching to are not really Adventist. They're really not familiar with our faith. I mean, we teach them in Bible classes and stuff, but these are people that come off the streets of the big cities. We go and we find them, we teach them a trade. They have Muslim backgrounds, they have atheist backgrounds. If you talk to many of them, they'll say they're agnostic. You don't have an Adventist audience here. So furthermore, we have brought all the evangelists you've heard of, and we've had them preach on this campus the ones from TV, you know the ones I'm talking about, and they've preached their series, and they've made their appeals, and they've made their calls, and honestly, nothing really happens. So we're glad you're here. Preach your heart out. Just don't want you to be disappointed. All right. So with that happy note, I went off preaching this week of prayer at this university. College, excuse me. And they had lots of people there. I mean, it was probably 300 people or so, 400 people packed in. I mean, it was a room about this size, but it was Ethiopia. I mean, there was a, there, there's a different human density in hum, Ethiopia. Uh, in their culture, you, I mean, let's see, we have five people on this front row. We'd probably have like 16 in that space. In Ethiopia. It was packed everywhere. So I was preaching, I was telling the story of Jesus and preaching my heart out. All the way in the back of my mind, I was like, how do I close this series? Like, I'm going to tell all these stories, but then what? I was like, do I make an appeal and do the same thing the way that everybody else has? Now, I'm seminary trained, I know how to make an appeal. 
okay? At seminary, they teach you how to connect the, the, the psychological part, the, the intellect side to, to the emotional part, how to use the music to, to bring them right to that point of decision, how to, to, to control the pacing so that we create the ideal opportunity for people to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They teach this in seminary, don't they? Did you take that class? Oh, you didn't? Okay, I, I took that, maybe that was a long time ago, but I took that class back in the day. I knew how to make an appeal. And so I was sitting, I, I, all week I was laboring with this, like what am I gonna do with this? What am I gonna do with this? I finally got to the last day. I'm preaching, my translator is there. We're preaching, we're telling the stories, we're, 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 we're sharing the love of Jesus as best we can. And I finally get to this moment, this moment I've been dreading all week long. And here's how it goes. I say, well, I'm done preaching. I said, I'm going to go stand right down there. The choir is going to sing. If the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, just do it. And I stepped down, and I turned around, and I closed my eyes, and the choir began to sing in Amharic, a beautiful, beautiful language. The music was fantastic. I have no idea what they were singing about. And they kept singing verse after verse after verse, and I was just sitting there with my eyes closed and thinking, man, don't know what's going to happen, but even if one person is standing up here, I guess... I guess it'll be okay, and I'm praying, God, just the Holy Spirit wants to do something, let the Holy Spirit do something. Finally, the music ends. I'm standing here. Well, God opened my eyes, and I open my eyes, and I turn around. There are a hundred people packed into the aisles as close as they can get to the front, responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. That story doesn't mean that Jonathan Russell is a great evangelist. I am not. In fact, on the continuum of great evangelists, I'm probably like about as far to the wrong side of that as you can get. But I tell that story this afternoon to say one thing. For one time in my life, I got out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit wanted to do. And on that day, in that moment, more people responded to Jesus than in the last probably 40 years on that campus. And it wasn't about me. What would happen if you and I would get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I kind of think we might not even recognize our life anymore. So today I want to make it very simple for you. I'm going to ask you two things. Number one, what will you do this week 
to be found together in spirit with God's people. If we go all the way back to the beginning of this message, when more people are found together, we experience more of the... Oh, good, you have a good memory. And the more we experience the Holy Spirit, the more people are found together in our community. We can't control where the Holy Spirit shows up. That's not ours to do. But we can choose to be in places where the Holy Spirit is likely to show up. Acts is clear. When we're found together with God's people, we can expect the Holy Spirit to pour out. And by the way, if you read Ellen White, she says that the Holy Spirit pouring out in our time should be far greater than any story we read in Acts. And there's some wild stuff in Acts. So, I told you two questions. The first one, what will you do this week to be found together in spirit in purpose, in direction with God's people. Okay, that's number one. Number two. And again, this is really simple. Number two, if the Holy Spirit desires to interrupt your scheduled itinerary this week, will you let him? When we open the eyes to what God is doing around us and wants to do through us, it changes our life. Too often, we're too busy to notice. So, number one was easy. What are you going to find? What are you going to do to find yourself together with God's people this week? Not somewhere in the future, not a year from now, not when you get past this season, not when you graduate, when you get promoted, when you get married, like none of that this week. What are you going to do this week to be found together with God's people? It can be a FaceTime call. It can be a text message. It can be a gathering. It can be going out for pizza or kimchi or whatever. Okay? Doesn't matter. But what are you going to do? And then the second thing, if the Holy Spirit changes or wants to change your itinerary, it's a simple yes or no. Will you let him? When you answer yes to that one, weird things start to happen. I know this by experience because a year ago I started playing with these ideas and studying more deeply and seeking more of the Holy Spirit and week after week after week, weird stuff happens. Now, I would love to know that I'm not alone. So if weird stuff starts to happen in your world and God wants to use you in ways that you didn't expect, yeah, you know how to get a hold of me. I'm at the Oregon Conference. I'm super easy to find by email, by text, whatever. I would love to hear your story. I believe God is building a movement of people who are going to be responsive to his Holy Spirit to do things in this world on behalf of the Spirit that we have never yet imagined. My invitation to you this afternoon is to be a part of of that movement. Let's pray. God in heaven, 
We've seen from your word that when we are found together, we are in a place where we can experience more of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, I pray for this community of faith right here, right now, that you would motivate them, prompt them to be found more tightly connected in spirit, in purpose, that they may connect deeply in spiritual community, that they may experience your Holy Spirit. And then, Lord, I just want to lift them up that when they say yes to you, you will show up in ways that will divert their attention, divert them in ways that will help them be a blessing in this world in ways they had never imagined. In the name of Jesus, we pray today. Amen.